Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Real spoilers powered by ReviewSTL.com. Warning, the following film discussion will ruin the ending of any movie you haven't seen. Example, Bruce Willis is dead at the end of The Sixth Sense. See how I ruined it for you? Just like that. Here are a few more. Silent Breed is people! I am the father. Get it? Real spoilers. You've been warned. It's so funny. My dad and I yesterday, we were coming home. We we were on a a radio show here in the morning, and then we recorded two uh, podcasts for, for multiple movies. And on the ride back, I said to my dad, what day is it? <laughs> and he goes, I think it's Friday. I said, I thought it was Wednesday. Well, we, we looked it up. It's definitely Thursday. Oh my god! So, uh, so neither one of us was correct. But it was just one of those. It has. It's been one of those things where, like, every day I go, and anybody, anybody help? I I think it's just like planning a wedding. You know, you plan for it for oh, months and months and months. Hundred percent. It, it's all of a sudden tomorrow, and then you're at the wedding, and then you don't even remember what happened. Well, that's. <laughs> Someone, someone said to me yesterday, go, wow, can you believe it's a week away? I said, what's a week away? <laughs> what, what, what is? <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's yeah, see, and the other thing, of course, is that just because Malton Fest is happening doesn't mean that, like, the rest of the world stops. Right. Which is one of those things. So, uh, so you know, it's like we, we got the Comic-Con uh, form to send in uh, your panel and still doing Malton on movie stuff. So it's just, as I say, it's just one of those things where... Um, I, I almost, I've actually ignored every publicist request I've gotten in the last week in my every movie. Hey, you want to watch this this weekend? No, no, I don't. No, I can't watch your movie. I love you. I'm sure you're a wonderful human being. I can't watch your movie. Please leave me alone. There's but only so much time in the day, right? That's, that's it. That is definitely it. Well, my dad's down here to so say hi, Kevin. Hey there, Kevin. Hey, Leonard. So nice to finally talk to you in real life. Same here. Uh, or what virtually uh, yeah. uh, passes from <laughs> real life now. Real life. Right, exactly. Well, you guys are, are always great online, and, and it's uh, so nice chatting with you. And, uh, you know, I love everything you do. So, again, thank you both for taking the time to talk with me. Sure no, thank you for always, you know, helping us get stuff out there. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's what I love to do. So let's get right into it. I know you both are busy. Sure. Uh, first question that I, that I have for Leonard is I have a newspaper article I found in the archives from 1966 with the headline, Boy 15 Edits Film Magazine. <laughs> And I absolutely love the picture with you next to Bullwinkle and movie posters on the wall. And getting into film at such a young age, how did you know that this would be your calling? I didn't. Everyone else thought it was unusual for me to be so focused 
at a, such a young age and to be uh, publishing my own fanzine at such a young age. I didn't. It was just it was just what seemed obvious to me. I was not an outdoor person. I was no good at sports. I loved to read. Uh, I was a TV junkie. But in those days, being a TV junkie sort of made you a, a film buff because TV was a living museum of movies back then. Well, sure. And I read, and I don't know if it was this article or maybe flash forward to the 70s and an article, I think it said you were 23 and you had watched Casablanca something like 10 times in three years. Does that sound about right? And <laughs> doesn't sound incorrect. And obviously that is your favorite movie. Or as far as I know, I heard that's still your favorite movie. Oh, that is still, still my favorite movie. Okay, excellent. Is that one of the things that back then were, were you seeing that in the theater or was that on TV at that point? Well, th- that's, that's why I was so lucky i got to see that for the first time in a movie theater wow uh, there was a big bogart revival in the late 60s that uh was spurred by the counterculture movement of the era it started in cambridge mass the young people discovered bogey and adopted him as their anti-hero because the character he plays rick in casablanca is an anti-hero and he played variations on it but that's the definitive Part that really inspired uh, young people to embrace him as they did. So my parents took me to a double feature in, in New York uh, of High Sierra and Casablanca. And wow. I saw it for the first time with an audience in a theater, you know, on a screen larger than life. And I fell in love with it. And I've never fallen out. That movie is something that stood the test of time, and it still remains your favorite after all these years. How do you think that's possible with all the tens of thousands of movies that have come ever since? Well, I can give you two parts to that answer. One is, I think things that you adopt or fall in love with at an impressionable age stay with you forever. So that's part of the answer. If I discovered it for the first time at age 25, I still would have recognized its greatness as a movie, but it might, might not occupy such a big place in my heart. Uh, And the other answer is, it's a great movie. Uh, You know, it's taught uh, sometimes as the model screenplay. And I I think it is, because it has everything. It has suspense, it has romance, it has humor, it has a point of view, it has topicality, but, but that topicality resonates over the years. And it has the most extraordinary cast where not, not just the stars, not just the, the big character actors who are in it, but every single person who appears on screen, even for one shot or one line, is a colorful person. Nobody's just filling up space. Yeah, it's it's an extraordinary movie, and I have uh, I have a big fifty. I think it's a fiftieth anniversary poster, a really neat one that they released for one of those anniversaries down in my basement. So it's definitely one of my favorites too. Good, Jesse. I want to ask you. So, of course, your father's been known for decades for books, television, interviews, Disney, all this stuff. So, growing up, what was it like in the Malden household when it comes to watching movies? And was there a certain uh, daily routine, or how how was it like growing up around that? Well, the thing is, first of all, you don't know that you're different until someone tells you that you're different. Sure. So, but you know what I mean? So it's the kind of thing where whenever anybody asks me, was it weird? Was it, you know, any, any of those sorts of things? The truth is I just had no idea because that's, that's my house. You know, so the fact that we watch movies all the time, there was no real, I wouldn't say there was a routine. So when I was very little and my parents were out, 
almost every night at a screening. Our my, my nanny, who is still my second mother, thirty two years later, uh, she would show us Captain Marvel, Shazam. It, we watched a lot of like Buster Crab. Uh, so so that was uh, Betty Boop, of course, of course, of course l- lots of lots of old cartoons. So that was the early early stuff. But then, uh, yeah, we just were always watching movies. That's really the only thing. There wasn't anything specific about it. The only other uh, the only other thing that we did was our movie nights at the house, which is we'd show, we'd, we'd thread up my dad's projector, 16 millimeter projector, 16 millimeter projector. Mm-hmm. And our friends would come over. My dad and I would work together to make our playbill. We lived on Whipple street. We called our, I, I call it's our living room, but our movie theater uh, was Lowe's Whipple. <laughs> and it was just really fun. And we'd pick movies and shorts and, and all that stuff. And, and our friends would come over and that was just a, another huge piece of my life. My, my very important job was pulling the screen down from the ceiling with the hook, which I was finally big enough to do at a certain point. And then, uh, and then my mom and I would go shopping, and we'd get all of our movie snacks for our friends. And we, my dad and I would make our playbills. And that was another one, a huge part of our life. That's so fun and so fantastic. Do you guys still have some of those old foam reels? Do they still work? Oh, they, boy, do they. Uh, <laughs> 16-millimeter when I was a teenager. First, I started with eight millimeter when I was even younger. Wow. And I've thrown nothing away. <laughs> so, yeah, I still have my collection, but I collected only shorts and cartoons and trailers. I didn't want to collect feature films, and I couldn't afford to collect feature films besides. So, I would borrow features from friends, from collector friends. But I still have all my shorts and cartoons, and I show some of them in 16 millimeter to my class at USC. Wow. I think I'm the only one who keeps that 16-millimeter projector whirring along. Yeah. There's just something about film. You know, everything's going digital. But I'm sure that if anyone can understand it, it's you two about just the magic of film. Yeah. Well, every piece of it, the first thing is you're holding something in your hand. And if you, you know, hold it up to the light, you can see the movie. That's, that's something that a lot of people are not, I don't think they even know that it, it exists. Uh, you know, it's not a DVD where holding a disc, You're, you can actually see the movie. And when when I learned, again, these are the small things, but as a kid, like when I finally got big enough to do the rewind myself, because my, my, my I could reach both at the same time. That was It started with my dad would have to do one and I would have to do the other because I couldn't reach two. <laughs> Uh, then got big enough to actually reach both of them. And I taught her to thread a projector. That's right. Slave <laughs> labor. He taught me to thread his projector for him. <laughs> That's what kids are for. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what we're for. But but all these pieces, again, you don't know that it's not what everyone else does. Plus, remember, I grew up here. So all of my friends, all of their parents worked in the industry to some degree. Mine was the only one who focused on the classic stuff this much but you know even our teachers it was just a huge part of everything that we did our teachers used to ask us when it was screener time to bring them in and 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 they'd ask us for certain (laughs) movies so we'd all come in with with backpacks full of vhs and we'd say all right here's such and such here's this movie and you'd trade around with your classmates and again this is to anyone else this would sound insane to us this is this we live in LA it's I I say the same thing over and over again if you're from a farming town you farm if you're from Los Angeles you work in the entertainment industry that's one you know but it is it's the first job most of us have being a PA running around um at entertainment tonight a lot of times they thought I was a PA oh I'd have people hand me stuff and I'd have to go no no I'm no 
no, okay, I'll take it. You know, you can only argue so much and then you just do the job. But I now know how special it was. I now know how different it was. And I understand how cool so much of it was that we got to do. Even just things like going to film festivals. When I was eight and a half, we went to the Portanone uh, Film Festival, Chini Mamuto, Silent Film Festival. And eight years old, me in Italy with my parents, they showed Gold Rush in uh, 2,000 seats, something. It's a huge theater. Massive theater. And everybody had those little earpieces in so that all the different languages was being translated for them. Wow. Yeah. And, and I, I said to my dad even then, and I, and I still, I remember it so vividly because I said they can all laugh at the same time. Yeah. Everybody's laughing at the same time. The other thing I remember, though, was that our translator was always eating a sandwich or something. <laughs> the other thing I remember very well, our guy was always eating something. It drove us insane. But you don't know how lucky you are until you get old enough to sort of understand it. And now that I do, I'm very grateful and I know how cool all of it was. So you grew up with all these wonderful experiences, you know, you're going to be naturally thrown into with with your family's love of film and all that. But did you at any point have a different trajectory for yourself or did you always want to do something with film? I never wanted to do anything with film. Ah. <laughs> it's the answer. No, I went to school for music. I was a jazz voice musical theater major and all through high school, that was my favorite thing in the world was, was being in shows and choir. And I, I'm very much that kid where I did all of that kind of stuff. And I practically lived at school because we were always rehearsing. I went to a very, very small school and uh, we were always rehearsing. We were always, uh, you know, we started our acapella club there, all kinds of very nerdy music things. And, that was my favorite because both my parents are actually huge music buffs. As much as they love film, they both also really love music. My dad is a jazz nut and, uh, and my mom is a musical theater nut. And she actually went to school for musical theater. So I grew up with, you know, a little bit of everything. Those are all my favorite things, too. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. You have the Malton Empire now. You've got the <laughs> website. And you, of course, have Malton on movies. Yep. Uh, and then we're gonna about to get into this film festival and everything. So obviously, I love the family business aspect of it. I love that you get to share this experience with your dad. I think it's so cool. How did you guys decide to get into podcasting? What was the moment where you thought, hey, we've got to have a podcast for all this stuff we're doing? All you have to know is that my dad is surrounded by, clubbed by women. <laughs> and he is so good at not fighting us anymore. <laughs> and a lot of that goes to my mother. She's the boss. Everyone knows she's the boss. But really, it's just, uh, for me, I'm always trying, there's all these different things that I want my dad to do. Things that I feel, I feel would be really great for him and great in new ways to share what he loves with people. So I had been talking about Let's do a podcast. Let's do uh, a monthly film series somewhere for a long, long, long time. Um, but in true family fashion, it wasn't until a stranger said, do you want to do a podcast that he said, oh, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> and originally I, I was doing it for a network that teamed me, asked me if I, what I thought about teaming up with a comedian. I said, I think it's a great idea. And they put me together with a very nice and very clever guy named Baron Vaughn. Yeah who's both a stand-up comic and an actor. We had a great time together. We, we worked together for over a year and enjoyed each other's company and enjoyed the process. But then he got busy. He got actual paying jobs <laughs> working on Grace and Frankie 
uh, as one of the regulars, as one of Leslie Tomlin's sons, and working. He, he's the new servo and the reboot of uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. And uh, he just couldn't keep up with, you know, this uh, uh, sort of a, what do you call it, a hobby <laughs> of doing a podcast. So Jesse started filling in. And in fact, before before Baron uh, left the, the Enterprise, I got sick and Jesse filled in for me. Oh. She even filled in via Skype from the UK. So she gained experience doing that. And then we just started doing it together because it seemed like a natural progression. And we love doing it together. Well, it's certainly great to listen to. The interviews are fascinating. The amount of people that you have on and the connections you made over the years, I mean, really, it is one of the most fascinating film podcasts out there. So that's why I love to share it with everyone. Well, thank you for doing that because, you know, it's it's all about building an audience, building a, a constituency. And, and you help us with that. We were very, and we're very grateful for it. Well, I appreciate it. And the same, same goes with you guys. And I know all about that. And you're so generous with your support for the film community online. You're so great about sharing and spreading the word about things. I mean, everything you're doing with Malton Fest and involving people. A couple months ago, Jesse said, Hey, we want to build up this list of podcasts and tag us and we'll share it and we'll like it. And that's not something that people with a, with a, an audience do often. You know, it's all about, Hey, look at my stuff. Look at me. And you guys are doing great stuff out there. So I just thought that's so unique the way that you decided to involve others and kind of spread the love around. And what ultimately made you come up with that idea? That's, that's all Jesse. She, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't take any credit for that. At all. I, I'm completely in favor of it. And I love the results. And I love the fact that we're able to do it. I support that, you know, uh, un- unqualifiedly. But Jesse's the one who, uh, who, who saw the, the need and uh, recognized that we were in a position to be able to lend a, a little bit of a helping hand to some folks. But it, it, all, it all goes back and forth because my parents are extremely generous. Um, our friends are extremely generous and you know this is part of the again being lucky part our our friends are so supportive everyone that we know as soon as they have the ability to do something they will uh we have a friend named howard and it drives us nuts because all he does is help everybody but you can never do anything for him like and it it is actually we've known him my entire life but it is actually to the point of being frustrating (laughs) You're like, Howard, for the love of Christ, like, let me find something that I can do for you to say thank you. So really, it's, it's that for me. And, and in the same way that my dad on his website, you know, he does these big book roundups. And we try to highlight as many authors as possible. He's always writing about Criterion, Kino Lorber, Flickr Alley, you name it. Um, so it, it, it does all come from, from my family and what we believe is important. Well, it's wonderful. And of course, when you support others, they will support you, as you guys know, and as you've mentioned. So uh, I think it's a great idea. And and what a great community that you've built online. I'm a big Disney nut. My my whole family loves Disney. We're going to Disney World in, in July here, and we're real excited. Leonard, I guess, you know, started off doing a lot of work with Disney and, and doing uh, features on, on DVDs and stuff for years and years and years. How did you get involved with Disney? Well, I, I think out of the womb. <laughs> originally. Uh, and remember that I grew up in the uh, first decade of television. I'm a child of the TV generation, a baby boomer. So I grew up 
watching Walt Disney uh, every week hosting his television show, uh, and like millions of others did. And I also used to come home from school every day and watch the Mickey Mouse Club. I, I was swept up in all things Disney, uh, you know, from from very young age. I then, when uh, Walt Disney died in the December of uh, 65, I wanted to do something special to commemorate him in his career. And so I devoted an entire issue of my fanzine, Film Fan Monthly, to an annotated listing of all of his films. I used my greatest resource, the Manhattan phone book, <laughs> and looked up Walt Disney Productions, as they were then called, in New York, made a cold call, was put through to a publicist, and I said, I wanted to do this. She said, how can I help you? What do you need? I said, well, really, all I, all I need from you is some some stills, some 8 by 10 stills to illustrate my uh, article, my, my issue. She sent them to me. And when I sent her the finished issue, she said, this is fantastic. We don't have anything like this. We don't have a handy directory of all of our films. Oh, wow. Can I, can I, can I buy more copies? I said, no, but I'll send you as many as you need. <laughs> she became a lifelong friend, remains a, li- a friend to this day. And uh, her name is Arlene Ludwig, and her father was the president of Buena Vista, wow. Disney's distribution company, for, for, for a long, long time. So then, when I made my very first trip to Los Angeles in my, my teens, late teens, she arranged for me to visit the studio for the first time. And I met a nice man who was then the head of publicity there. He said, have you thought of turning this magazine you did, this issue, into a book? I said, no, I hadn't really. He said, well, you ought to, I, I'm encouraging you to do it. I think it would be a great idea. And that's what led to me writing the book called The Disney Films, which uh, was sort of my staking my flag on the mountaintop uh, as, a, as a connoisseur or, or expert, if you will, on, on Disney. And I just continued from there. When the video era came into existence, I had a meeting. I, I met Dick Cook, who was the president of the Walt Disney Company then. Dick Cook was a 37-year veteran at the time I met him. His first job was uh, conducting Jungle Cruise at uh, Disneyland. He graduated to Monorail. <laughs> wow. And he then became the head of distribution for Buena Vista and then, and then became the president of the company. And he was a very nice man and very approachable. And I saw him at a, I guess they had a premiere for one of their films. And I said, I've got an idea I'd love to pitch to you. He said, fine, let's have breakfast one morning. He liked to have breakfast meetings. So we had a breakfast meeting at a place in Toluca Lake. And I pitched the idea of doing what became the Walt Disney Treasures series to him. It was the shortest meeting in Hollywood history. He said, let's do it. <laughs> I mean, after that, it went to the legal department and it took months to work out a contract and all of that. But he said, let's do it. And that led to nine years of me hosting and co-producing, uh, you know, this uh, very well-received uh, series of uh, of DVD sets. First, they were limited editions with, uh, you know, have you ever, you know, the ones I mean, they're in tin oh, cases. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the tin cases, I have them. They're wonderful. And we did, we ended up doing 37 of those. And that's all because of Dick. It was my baby. I pitched the idea and he said yes. And then Turner Classic Movies made a deal to license a number of Disney titles 
and uh, uh, their head of programming consulted with me about my advice on which ones they should go for, and there were any missing from their list that I, I would add, and I, so I was happy to throw in my two cents. And that's led to five years of hosting Disney evenings on Turner Classic Movies. So I, I'm very lucky because something that I fell in love with as a child is still part of my life. Absolutely. I mean, that is an amazing story. And I know that I'm sure you're probably a little used to it by now. But at that time, I mean, with doing those Disney treasures collections, you're now hosting or introducing things that you grew up watching as a child on television. Yes. Uh, kind of amazing. Talk about the circle of life. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, that's wonderful. Do you two go to the Disney park in California a lot? You know, some people love to go all the time. Some people that I, I have friends who have, uh, you know, year passes and they're there constantly and they love that. We really, we went so much when I was little and we had some really incredible experiences. Um, like like lifelong memory kind of experiences, and I think when I probably when I, probably when I started driving when I was about sixteen, that's when I started going by myself and and doing it that way. Really, I like to keep Disney special, and everyone's different. It's up to them, and I really only go once a year, if that. I love to go at Christmas because it's so beautiful. But we don't necessarily go all together yeah, anymore. We, we, we like to keep it a special event. Yeah. Everybody, as Jesse says, everybody views it differently, experiences it differently. I have friends that are there every single week. <laughs> like they go multiple times a week. When they're bored, they just go to Disneyland. And, and they can. You absolutely, you do whatever it is that makes you happy. I, I have this funny thing. I, I like to keep it special so that when I walk in every single time, I have the same reaction to Main Street. And, and as I say, Christmas is my favorite there because it's so beautiful. I completely understand it. You know, we have Six Flags here. I see Disney very differently than Six Flags. So I would not want Disney to turn into Six Flags. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, Lord, Six Flags. Yeah, we have that too. <laughs> we have that too. So I want to ask you about Malton Fest now. You two have spent so many years, Leonard, your career, and, and Jesse grew up, like you said, as a child, going to film festivals, and you've decided to put your own on. How did that idea come to fruition? Annoying my father. <laughs> the, the answer to any question as to how something happened is either my mother annoying him or me annoying him. Not annoying, nudging. Nudging, there you go. That's the polite way, nudging. Yes, he's been asking me to do something of this kind for, for several years. And uh, I was always kind of wary of the, the commitment, you know, and the amount of work. And uh, I tend not to think big. So much of my life is made up of things that have happened to me, things that have been sort of laid in my lap. And uh, in this case, it was something that we would have to create from scratch, and so I was a little wary of it at first, but then Jesse said, no, let's do this. And she started putting the, the wheels into motion and, and then, uh, they were in motion and, and I'm all for it. I never, I never fought the idea once she was, uh, revving it up, revving up the engine. I love what we're doing. I love the films we're showing. I love the fact that we're going to do it at a historic Hollywood theater. I love the fact that I'm going to show shorts and cartoons along with the feature films that so many filmmakers are coming. And I love the fact that I think we're going to have the kind of audience that we crave, which is real movie lovers. 
when you go to a film festival of any size of any kind, the best part besides the movies is the people you meet because you meet like-minded folks. You meet people who share your passion, your love, and you end up having conversations with total strangers who cease to be strangers. They're fellow festival goers. And that's what I think we're, we're uh, anticipating and we're pretty confident that's what we're going to have. As you know, film is one thing that connects us all, and it's an amazing experience when yeah. you can all come for the same event and experience that together. Right. Uh, there's nothing like that. With this festival, you describe it as sharing gems, both new and old. And of course, that, that just seems natural with, with Leonard, your love of classic film, and, and Jesse, you growing up around it. You're sharing a mixture of new and old. And, and what's the philosophy behind that? The thing is, people always associate uh, my dad with with classic film and it makes sense as to what it's not like a, a, a shock as to why but uh the truth is he just loves film and it doesn't matter if it's old if it's new um i was saying this to a friend the other day you know when we interviewed kevin brownlow the first thing he talked about was that he'd been at tcm opening night and watched when harry met sally yeah. and he went on about how much he loved it and that it was the perfect movie and all this and and it was like that's what makes you who you are. That's what makes you not just, uh, you know, a, a historian, but a film lover, a film buff. And, and that's how my dad is. He's just as excited to watch a movie now that he loves and thinks is great uh, than he is to, to watch something older. And, and I think that both feed him in a very similar way. The classic stuff will always be, again, attached to the heart. That's a big piece. But we've had a little bit of everything. And also, we didn't want to try to compete or even even seem to be competing with the TCM Classic Film Festival. There's no need. They do a fantastic job. I'm lucky enough to be part of that festival. We just experienced it weeks ago. And uh, we didn't want to, you know... We didn't feel the need. Yeah. We didn't feel the need to... There's no void there. It's being filled. But having a festival of unrecognized or underrated movies of recent vintage is not being done. And that's where we felt we could fill a need and, uh, and, and show movies that we want to share. It's a great service because I can't tell you how many times me and my friends, I mean, what is one of your favorite things to do is to say, have you seen this movie? You know, have you heard the good word about this movie and sharing yeah. that with someone? Exactly. It's, it's, it's such a fun thing to do. I love introducing people to movies that, you know, aren't that old, but, but people just yeah. have never even heard of them. Well, yeah. I, I think we all do. Anyone, anyone, again, who's a movie buff, that's one of the greatest joys, you know, 100%. In the same way, you know, you do your podcast. If someone says to you, oh, wow, Kevin, thanks to you, I watched whatever it may be. And I've never I'd never heard of it before. I didn't know that I had access to it. That That's the goal. You know, that's that's the dream right there is that somebody watches something you recommended, loves it and then passes it along to to everyone else. That matters to them. Yeah, it's it's a great it, just for the love of film and for how you know it's something that again unites us all and something we love to talk about and see. It's it's a great accomplishment to share that with others. What would you say your ultimate goal is for this festival? I mean, I know we've talked about you know sharing these films, having them be discovered, but I, I know you don't probably want to talk about it yet. But the future of this festival? Oh, I can tell. Well, I can tell you that the goal, very simply, is to bring people together to watch great movies um, and have fun. That's, that's really... And, and to, to get them out of their house. Yeah. We have no problem with streaming. 
or, you know, or, or any other method of watching films at home, it's a great convenience and it's made films accessible to people who don't live in communities with specialty theaters or revival theaters or anything like that. That's just great. But even better is bringing people together and making an audience of them and putting them in a wonderful theater where they can see movies, you know, uh, on a big screen. And the Egyptian screen is huge. <laughs> so they're really seeing it on a big screen with a simpatico audience around them in the dark, watching a movie larger than life. And we hope to do this in other places, perhaps eventually have a kind of a roadshow version of this. Well, no definite plans yet. We're, we're, we have to get this one under our belt first. But we, you know, we hope that this will be the first of, of many such gatherings. In, in my dreams, what we're able to do is travel with this. Because the number one thing that people say to us is, oh, I wish that I had something like this where I live. It, it really is the thing you hear most often. Oh, I wish I lived in L.A. I wish I lived in New York. I can't believe we don't ever get anything like this here. So that would be my dream is to be able to travel with it, take it to different places, give everybody the experience. And again, just sort of facilitate this film community in a big way and give them something that they can look forward to and something that they can share. Well, it's one, it's wonderful what you're doing. And you know, the question you're going to get as soon as this is over and it's a huge success and you're just ready to rest is it's going to be. So when's the next one? Uh, believe me when I say I'm ready to go. It's, uh, <laughs> it is something. No, I'm, I, I am. I'm very much ready. And, and as, soon as, as soon as we get this one under our belt and have a sense of what works and what doesn't, um, because that's the other part is I would never, I would never make an assumption. Things are going to go wrong. There are going to be mistakes that are, you know, in, 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 it's human. It's got a lot of moving parts. Yeah, but, but as I say, that's why for us, our focus and what we care about is everyone having a good time right. and feeling a sense right. of community. And then we'll take it from there. Yeah, exactly, right? One thing at a time. Right. Well, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. It's been such a pleasure. Of course, nice thank you. Nice to talk to you, Kevin, and thank you so, so much for your your support and for spreading the good word. Oh, absolutely. It is, it is my pleasure. It is all mine. And I grew up, uh, you know, Leonard Malton was a household name. So this is definitely uh, something amazing. I love being able to interact with you guys. So keep up the great work and the best of luck with the festival. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much, Kevin. You take care. Hi, everybody. We are so excited to share some news with you. Brand new. Been planning for a long time. Malton Fest. Malton Fest. Coming to you. May 10th through 12th this year. We have so much more to tell you. We cannot wait, but we couldn't keep it to ourselves anymore. It's our very own film festival. It's our very own film festival! <laughs> <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. 
Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 